Welcome to Leadership Dialogues, a podcast for the greater New Orleans region. Leadership Dialogues is produced by the New Orleans Regional Leadership Institute, a nonprofit which provides a variety of nonpartisan platforms to inspire and engage business and community leaders in the greater New Orleans region. When we are children, we are introduced to the concept of a town at an early age. We understand that there are streets and streetlights, neighborhoods, parks, and of course we know that there are important buildings like schools and hospitals, a town hall, a fire station, perhaps even an ice cream shop. Today's episode focuses on one of the most fundamental pieces in that city landscape. No matter how large or small, the library has always been a place of exploration and access. It is central to the values of any community and traditionally has opened doorways into the information and knowledge that you couldn't get at home. But now, as technology becomes more powerful and more integrated, and as the fabric of society is stretched amidst social challenges, emergencies, and disasters, so too have libraries had to evolve. In this episode, I talk with Shannon Satanovich, the Executive Director of the Friends of the New Orleans Public Library. Throughout our conversation, we discuss these challenges and changes, and we more closely examine the role of libraries in our modern world. My name is Stephen Ruther. I'm the Executive Director of Norley. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. If you could, tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role. Sure. So glad to be with you, Stephen. Uh, my name is Shannon Satanovich, and I am the Executive Director of Friends of the New Orleans Public Library. To tell you a little bit about Friends, we are the fundraising and the advocacy arm of New Orleans Public Library. We are a nonprofit um, 501c3, where we are raising money to support library programs, particularly public-facing programs, through book sales, grants, donors, anything that we can do to deliver high-quality programs to the citizens of New Orleans through their public library. So what type of programming specifically do you support? I'm sure, obviously, there must be some reading programs for children and things of that nature. But what other types of programming do you all fundraise for and do you support through your work? Well, that's what's interesting about the library. You know, every library reflects the needs of its patrons. So, for example, the branch I'm sitting in now as I speak to you is the main library downtown where a lot of people come in looking for help with resume writing, you know, with job searches and that sort of thing. So Friends is very proud to have a grant that we've gotten recently to help the library deliver resume writing workshops and that sort of thing. You know, we have programs across the city for story time for kids. We have seed libraries that deliver free seeds to the gardeners of New Orleans. Again, whatever the need is in the communities that these libraries serve, you know, Friends of the Library wants to support that. So it can be anything, Stephen. It can be story time. It can be free seeds. It can be resume writing. It can be authors appearing to talk about their books. Whatever the people of the city of New Orleans want from their library, we are happy to support it. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the library. It is a flexible institution. And for me, the most important thing, it's free and open to everyone. You know, when I think about how much in our society these days we have to pay for 
You can't sit unless you buy a cup of coffee. You can't enter unless you're invited. The library to me is such a special institution because there is no obligation to pay. Everybody is invited. You could be a wise person or not so wise. You know, you could be old or young. It does not matter. Everyone is welcome at the library. And that is why, you know, for me, it is truly, Stephen, the institution of my life, you know, that has given me from when I was a child to a young adult to an older adult now, so much um, pleasure, you know, from the books I've gotten, the, the programs I've attended, it's just been a constant source of joy in my life personally. Let me ask you, we live in a progressively more technologically connected world, uh, a more digitized world where so much information and so many different things that you might look for are readily available. Uh, within your cell phone or laptop or tablet or computer. And so the way that people use technology as part of their everyday life and the way that that could potentially interact with a library, I have to imagine is evolving very rapidly. Uh, share with me, what, what's your thoughts or your vision on how technology interplays with the library moving forward? Well, I mean, I think the library, from what I see where I'm sitting as, as the executive director of Friends, the library is helping pull citizens forward with it. I feel like the library is always looking for what's next and what's new. So for example, the library just did a program for seniors on online dating to talk about how to negotiate that, which is tricky at any age, but particularly as one gets older, but also with a more serious side, how to watch out for scams. So I feel like the library is always looking forward, you know, trying to see what new technologies are there, but more importantly, what can they do to educate the public about how to use those technologies wisely? So I think the library is always going to be a mixture of the technologies that we hold in our hands these days, whether it's we're downloading books, you know, ebooks, downloading audiobooks, looking at movies that we can get through our New Orleans Public Library catalog, but also there is a huge need for in-person libraries, you know, and I say this as someone who spent 12 years directing adult literacy programs right here at the main branch of the public library. So before I came on as executive director of Friends, I directed the adult literacy programs of the YMCA that were housed here in, at the main library. Let me just say, I was always a library fan before I started the job. I knew I loved the library, but I will tell you, it was not until I was in a library branch working day after day. I did not understand, Stephen, how much work the librarians do to meet the needs of people who walk in in times of crisis, whether it's people who are struggling with homelessness and need to find some basic resources, a place to shower, a place to get mail. People who walk in panicked because they've been told, you have a job at the grocery store, you just have to go online and fill out the application. Well, where are you gonna do that? Go to the library. You know, people who would come in, you know, needing help learning English, people needing help with citizenship, so many things, and the librarians were there to meet them. And so, like I said, I was a fan of libraries before, but I didn't understand until I started working in this building how many people walk into libraries every day expecting help and getting it. You know, I find it interesting if you go to the housing office, there's a little sign on the door, you know, that says, 
if you want to apply for housing, you can go to the library for help. When Entergy and United Way, just this past week, yeah, or past two weeks, did the $150 credit for people for their energy bills. People were told, go to the library and apply. And I just don't think the library gets the credit that it deserves. So many agencies will say, go to the library for help. And the library, they just do it. They just take it. I guarantee you, the library is not often consulted and told you are going to be helping this, these people. That would be nice. But the library is a place, open doors, arms wide open, helping people, you know, where they are. And I just think it is a tremendous institution that should get a lot more credit for what it does to kind of hold up, you know, the limited social support net that we have in the city. I think that observation is so important. And uh, and quite frankly, it's one that I never would have thought of, but it makes sense. Everybody knows where their local library is. They understand what that experience is when you walk through the doors. There's a comfort there and a welcoming there that they're familiar with, right? And so it would make sense that for whatever uh, sort of resources or supports that they need, they would turn to a library and that a library would serve as that nexus or beacon where they could uh, access those resources. I also think the other thing to consider is that in light of the pandemic that we just lived through, libraries can be a fantastic place for individuals to meet, to be able to interact face to face and uh, obviously perhaps hold meetings or just socialize. You look at how much consumer habits have changed as a result of the pandemic and as a result of technology, you know, people don't always necessarily go to bookstores or music stores or clothing stores or do a lot of uh, socializing around those kinds of activities. A lot of restaurants have closed. A lot of public spaces maybe have closed or have more limited hours as a result of the pandemic. And so when you look at all these challenges that other institutions institutions and other physical establishments are having, uh, libraries make a pretty compelling case that, hey, we're here, we've always been here, and this is a great place to be able to come and interact and, uh, again, kind of have that social experience that maybe we've lost over the last couple of years. Oh, I, I completely agree. It's harder to find and also it's expensive. You know, I think one of the things that the library has going against it, unfortunately, is a feeling that we have in this country that if we don't pay for it, it mustn't be good. If it's free, it must not be high quality. So when I see people who are paying to go to indoor playgrounds and going to different events and paying, nothing wrong with that. But please don't discount the public library as a place where families can get together and learn and play. You know, I have a nephew who, it pains me to say it, he's not a he does not love to read like I do. And that's fine. He can make things, build things. That's who he is. But one of the things we like to do at the library is sit, pull out board games that are ours for free to use. And we'll just play board games for hours just to be together. And that is free. It costs nothing. I don't have to make an appointment. We can walk in and we can do that. You know, I do think that the library is that place where people can come together. Yeah, I've seen that with the Best Buy Teen Tech Center, which is located at the public library, you know, the main branch where I'm sitting, it is a massive makerspace for teenagers. Teenagers only. You are not invited, Stephen. I am not invited. <laughs> you know, parents can come, caregivers can register their 13 to 18 year olds for the program, but after that, you're not allowed. And it's this tremendous makerspace where kids can learn to use a recording studio, 
3D printers, sewing machines, all kinds of things. And that's great. But what's even more important is that they get to do it together. You know, it's a place where they can be working next to each other and making connections with other kids who have the same sort of passions and pursuits that they do. You know, not all of us were cut out to join the basketball team. Some of us just want to read and make things. And so I'm glad that the library has that space. And so what I would tell people is, you know, go to your library and check out what they have available. I think you will be pleasantly surprised. There are things for everyone, whether it's young kids, teens, adults, there's something for everybody here. You mentioned the Best Buy Teen Tech Center, but I would imagine that the New Orleans Public Library would be uh, ripe with opportunities for partnerships and collaborations. Could you tell us a little bit more about what those partnerships look like and who they would be with? I look at Friends as an organization that has the flexibility to meet with people, to talk about potential partnerships, whether it's fund, it's you know, it could be funding, it can be volunteerism, it could be an extended partnership. For example, with the Makerspace, I know they're always looking for mentors for these young people who are, you know, enjoying this program. You know, I think one way for people, if anyone is interested in seeing what they can do to support the library, reach out to us at Friends of New Orleans Public Library. What I'm proud of with Friends is that we are very much on the ground with the librarians, asking them, what needs do you have that aren't being met? So we know what we're looking for when we're going out into the public. For example, one thing that librarians told us, back to your point about getting people into the library, is we want young people in the library, but we recognize they don't have cars and they may not have the money for the bus. So we were able to fundraise this summer and get some youth bus passes that were given out, no questions asked. You know, if you're a young person, Here's your pass. So you can, it's a 24 hour pass. You can get back and forth after school to the library. And it's been really interesting to hear about the success. I heard from one librarian whose branch is near a school. And she said it used to be the kids would have to jump on the school bus and go home right away. But now with our bus passes, they come to the library, they hang out, and then they go home. So that's just one example of we're listening to the librarians who are in turn listening to the public say, what do they need? And we're trying to go out there and see what are opportunities for partnership or support that we can bring to the table. So shifting gears a little bit, I would love to hear your thoughts and kind of your opinion on books as physical, tangible products. You know, we take in so much different media these days by either downloading it or looking at it on our tablet or our cell phone. And I think a lot is lost in that process. For me personally, I've always enjoyed walking into a library or a bookstore and there might be different things aside from the actual content of the book that draws me to the book. It could be the binding or the art associated with the cover of the book or it could be the book title itself. And so for me personally, there's a very strong experience and connection with being being able to see, touch, and feel a product like that in person. And I would imagine for you, it could very much be emotional and a very experiential uh, sort of thing as well. So I would love to hear your thoughts, especially since you work in a library and you are surrounded by these books uh, all day, every day. Oh, I mean, I have a lot of emotions when it comes to libraries. And I think a lot of people do. You know, it always warms my heart when I see when there are challenges to libraries, whether it's censorship or funding, how the public comes out very much on the side of libraries. And I always say, 
don't mess with libraries or librarians. I mean, truly the public is on their side. When it comes to the tactile experience, you know, I had someone recently ask me, how do you start your day at New Orleans Public Library? And honestly, Stephen, the first thing I do when I come in to work is I walk through, I have the pleasure of walking through the stacks and seeing all the books on the shelves. And invariably, I will go and pick things up, leaf through it, and just see what's out there. To me, that is the joy of the library. It's the serendipity of what you find on a shelf. I might go to the music sec section and I want to read a book about, let's say, Motown but there's a book next to it that's about something else music-wise, and then I keep going down the shelf, and there's more and more. It is the joy of being in the physical space and seeing what's there. And I think that we have a younger generation that is responding to what you're saying. They miss that tactile um, experience, and we do find a younger generation is coming in, getting more library cards, and really enjoying it that sensation of being in a library, pulling out a huge book that you may not be able to afford on your own, but you can enjoy it in the library. So I think, you know, people of my generation, you know, Gen Xer, you know, I think some of us might have gotten away from the library, but I'm looking at younger generations who are coming back to the library. And I think part of that is the emotional pleasure of it, but also economics. You know, I had a mom who came to me and said, I can go to Target and buy one book for my child for $18, or I can come to the library and get handfuls of books. And, you know, really, when you look at dollars and cents, if you want to raise your child to be a reader, you need books in your house. And what better way to put them in your house and get them from the library? So I would love to hear your thoughts. You had mentioned censorship, and obviously, mm -hmm. uh, as an advocate of books and, and information and um, intellectual uh, curiosity. Most librarians and most, you know, well-read people, I would assume, um, have certain feelings that they want to be exposed and challenged in their thinking, right? You would, well, you would think. <laughs> you would <laughs> well, think most people want to be challenged. Sadly, I don't know if that's always the case, but carry on. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a good point. And maybe I'm projecting what I want out of a library or a book or, a, you know, any sort of medium or piece of art. But I would love to hear kind of what are your feelings around censorship and how have you experienced it and how has it played out at the local level? Well, OK, so first, let's just talk personally. Um, let me I'll give you this anecdote for me as a kid. Children are curious. They want to know about relationships. They want to know how their bodies work. And I guarantee you, Stephen, they're going to find the information somehow. And it could be from a very good source of information, like, you know, a book that a librarian has selected specifically for this purpose. Or you could have a child snatching your phone, getting on the Internet, Googling, you know, a word or two, and then, you know, who knows where they end up. When I was a kid, I knew very much about an American poet. Her name was Anne Sexton. At nine years old, I knew who Anne Sexton was. She was an American poet from New England, died tragically very young. It was, she was a suicide. I knew all about her when I was nine. Why did I know about Anne Sexton? Because when I was a kid, I would go to the encyclopedia, look up S-E-X, and then just happen to see Anne Sexton on the other side of the page. So, yeah, when you say, why does a nine-year-old know who this American poet is? That's why, because kids are curious. I was curious. 
Kids today are curious. And I want to make sure that kids have access to materials that are reflecting the world they live in, the challenges that they may face, and that it's good information about their bodies, about relationships, all of that. And librarians are trained to do that. So while some of the books you may find in libraries, you know, may not reflect your experience, you know, you might not be a kid who's questioning your gender identity or what type of relationships you want. There's a broad spectrum of experiences that people need to be able to explore. What concerns me is when I see groups that are well-funded, well-organized, not well-intentioned, trying to get these books off the shelves. Because what it does to me, not only is it taking quality information away from young people and adults as well, let's be honest, I mean, but also it is underscoring to kids that this is something they should be ashamed of. And this is not the kind of Louisiana I want my the kids in my family to grow up in. I'm very concerned by what we are seeing in Lafayette, in Livingston Parish, where, you know, books are being pulled off the shelves, where librarians are being harassed endlessly, but, you know, by a more pro-censorship side. I think it's something we need to watch carefully. Again, these are people who are very well organized and are well-funded. And I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think they're going to be coming to our own region. So for me personally, and also for me as the executive director of Friends, I think it's, you know, I have a responsibility to be watching this very carefully and speaking out about it. You know, I think we speak out about censorship when it's about burning books but things are more insidious with this group. What we're seeing, Stephen, are things like they're not banning books, but they're taking books that are appropriate for young adults and moving them to the adult section so kids don't have access to them. That is insidious. It's just they're very clever. They cannot be accused of removing the books, but they are putting it in a place where kids can't have access to it. And so I think that's something we need to watch out for. So it's nothing that handing out free copies of Fahrenheit 451 will help resolve. <laughs> no, no. What, let me tell you what will resolve it. The deeply boring and unsexy work of reading the minutes at board meetings for libraries across the state, for attending these meetings, for, you know, it is what's necessary. You know, and watching very carefully who we are putting on boards and are they reflecting, you know, the values that, that we have? or at least that I have, where I want, yeah, I want multiple opinions to be available at the library. You know, I have my own political opinions, but that doesn't mean I want only my opinion available at my library. You know, it has to be, it has to reflect the broader, you know, population that we have. And again, the library just reflects the people it serves, and we, we, are, we contain multitudes. <laughs> so our library is going to reflect that. You had mentioned the training and, and anybody who's gone into a library and spoken with a librarian um, knows this to some degree, but they may not realize the formal training and sort of yes. academic discipline of the library sciences. Could you talk a little bit about what that education looks like and, and what formal training uh, librarians might have when, when obviously serving the public? Absolutely. So, I mean, to become a librarian, 
not a library staff member, but to become a librarian, you need a master's in information science. And what that's going to do, it's going to be teaching you not just management of a library branch and you know how you're dealing with the public, but also giving you the depth and breadth of resources that are available to your public, not just the books, but also you know, electronic resources. How do you promote them? How do you determine, you know, when certain resources, their shelf time is over? Like this book hasn't circulated for a while, we're going to get rid of it. And so, you know, it's an academic pursuit. I find the people who come into this field, have a tremendous passion, not just for books, not just for a love of reading and information, but also for the public. I feel like some people do start library school because they love books and then they realize, oh my God, this is a forward facing position. I have to deal with the public. But the best librarians I've seen have a balance where they love the word, they love the books, but they also love serving the public and they love sharing information. You know, Friends is very proud of the fact that we raise money every year to support scholarships for NOPL staff. So if you're an NOPL staff member and you're getting your master's degree at LSU's Information Science School, we are there to help with scholarship because, you know, it's not an inexpensive degree, you know, and let's be honest, the wages for librarians, not the highest. And so we want to offer at least some support to encourage professionals you know, who are getting into this degree program and to encourage them to finish it and continue their career at NOPL. Again, let's talk more about emotion, like you had mentioned earlier. As a kid, I grew up in Lower Plaquemines Parish, so the tip of the boot of Louisiana, where we did not have much. We had a levee. We had the Gulf on one side, the levee on the other side, a lot of churches, a school, and a library. And for me, Stephen, the library in my imagination was a huge building. I look back now, I don't think it was, but in my child's mind, it was huge. And I will never forget the librarian when I would go in to check out my little pile of books would say to me, I'm always interested to see what you check out. It's so interesting. And so I thought, wow, she's watching what I'm doing. I'm going to show her all of my little passions and pursuits, whether it was dinosaurs, you know, space, who knows. To, for a kid to hear that, to know that an adult cares about what you're reading and wants to encourage you to pursue, you know, whatever your passion is, it meant a huge deal to me. And I try to communicate that to the staff here at NOPL you know, whatever we can do to support them to be those figures in the community, to encourage kids, whether it is, whether they want to hang out at the makerspace, whether they want to check out books about music, whatever it is, encourage them. Because it meant a lot to me as a child, and I know it means a lot to kids, you know, across this area. So for me, librarians are just my heroes. If you haven't guessed that already, they are my absolute <laughs> heroes. They are fantastic. That's wonderful. Well, then you're in the perfect line of work. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think, you know, to get back to something you had said earlier about artistic and cultural enjoyment that you get from libraries, one thing I found very frustrating when I was doing adult literacy was we are teaching people to read, but for what purpose? And the purpose was for people to get jobs. And our funding was based on people getting jobs. Did they get the job? Did they keep the job? How long did they stay with the job? Nowhere, Stephen, did we ever discuss the joy of reading? Yeah. Never. It was never discussed because how can you quantify that? How do you fund that? But 
I will never forget one of my adult literacy students was a gentleman maybe in his late 40s who read at about a sixth grade level. And he was watching one of our teachers during her lunch break. And she just had a book casually on her lap and she's flipping through it. And he turned to me and he said, I just want to be able to read and enjoy a book the way Miss Margaret does. And so, you know, there is something to be said, obviously, about what reading can get you in terms of your career, in terms of being able to support your children with schoolwork. But let's not forget about the joy of reading and the enrichment that it gives us. And I think the pandemic taught us that. You know, I spent, I was very grateful to NOPL and their drive-through services during the pandemic. So I could forget about some of the things we were going through and lose myself in some books. So there is a purpose for the library when it comes to economic development. There is a purpose to the library when it comes to health. You know, we get a lot of people who come in looking for health information, but also it is here to stimulate us and support us emotionally, artistically, and culturally. So let me ask you, obviously, you went uh, through Norley, you're a graduate of our program, yes. class of 2018, correct? Yes, best class. Of best course. class, always, every class, always. best class. So uh, I would love to hear your personal journey, how your sense of leadership has informed the decisions that you've made and the career choices that you've made to currently end up uh, where you are in your position with the New Orleans Public Library. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the nonprofit sector, it's a it's its own, as you know so well, its own peculiar little area. I think it brings people, the people who are attracted to it, honestly, the loveliest people, people who are passionate about, about a cause. But as I always say to people, no little girl grows up dreaming that she's going to be a fundraiser. You know, that never happens. We grow up thinking we love books, we love arts, but in the pursuit of that, or to promote the arts, to promote culture, guess what? We have to be fundraisers. That's what it's going to, what it is. So working at the YMCA for 12 years, absolutely loved it, had tremendous respect for the adult literacy students that I served. But I do think sometimes with the nonprofit sector, I mean, as you know so well, Stephen, it is, we wake up in the morning thinking about the agencies we work with. We mm-hmm. go to bed thinking about it. It is a constant, a constant thought. Um, I did take some time off after leaving the Y after 12 years. And when I decided now's the time for me to go back to work, I wanted to make sure I was in an agency that where I... I love the cause wholeheartedly. And so I feel like with Friends of the Library, that's exactly where I am. As far as leadership, what I've been reflecting on is learning, I don't want to say how to stay in my lane, but boiling things down to their essentials. What is my responsibility as the leader of Friends of the New Orleans Public Library? I could go in 10 different directions to support the library, but I try to remain focused and keep things boiled down to is the work I'm doing today supporting programs that benefit the public at large, you know, that sort of thing. You know, as we're talking about censorship, do I get riled up and do I want to charge across the state and get other friends groups organized and we're going to fight this? I would love to. I don't know that I have the time to do it and I have to stay kind of focused on friends right now, especially since I've only been in the role a few months. So I think what leadership has become for me over the years is it's not 
how much I'm doing or how much I'm spreading myself out, but trying to be, to discern what my purpose is, what is most critical to the agency. You know, and I think for friends right now, what is most critical for us, you know, it's just communicating to the public what it is that we do, communicating to the library staff who we are and what we do, improving communications between staff and friends. Again, if the library staff don't talk to me, how can I possibly go out and advocate for them? So it's being conscious about that. Again, for leadership for me right now, it's not spreading myself out wide. It is trying to maintain some focus. I love that. And I think the thing that I love most about uh, your response is the phrase leadership for me now, because inherent within that statement is the idea that you can change and what leadership means to you and how you effectively interface with it can change over time as you evolve and matriculate and you're put in different scenarios that you need to manage into. So well, absolutely. I think an incoming executive director in the first six months of her tenure is going to have a different feeling of priorities than one might have in two years. So I think it's just understanding that nothing is permanent. Where we are today with friends is going to change. Where the city is is going to change. The city agency that I support is the library. And remember that the library responds to the needs of the city. So as New Orleans changes, friends has to change. So I have to be flexible about that. God forbid there should be another major hurricane. If that happens, Guess where FEMA sets up, Stephen? They set up at the library branches. We have to be ready to greet people, you know, in case of an emergency. So if something happens, whether it's a natural disaster or anything else, friends has to be responsive. So again, I don't need to spread myself out. Ben, I'm trying to look at priorities and see where we are now as an agency and what we need to do. But also what it's really, I feel like this podcast, we've talked a lot about emotion which is kind of interesting to me because, you know, so much of us, you know, in the business sectors and nonprofit, we're talking about inputs, outputs, you know, budgets, but there is an emotional side to the work we do. And I think what has given me a lot of success in these first few months at Friends is the fact that I've previously worked for 12 years in a library branch and the library staff know me they know I'm on their side. You know, I might not always agree with them, but ultimately I want to support them. They know that I've worked on three different millages to support library funding. So they know I mean it when I say I'm here for New Orleans Public Library. And when you have that relationship, I mean, that goes a long way. So let's never discount the power of the relationships we build with the people around us. So I, I assume that you knew uh, we weren't going to be able to get through this podcast without uh, my asking these next couple of questions, but I would love to hear what is your all-time favorite book? And then secondly, what is a book that you're either reading now or that you would recommend to everybody? Oh God, this is so tricky. I wish I had time to reflect this. All-time favorite book. I don't want to come off as snobby, but I do have a French degree <laughs> and my favorite book, I mean, I don't want to come off, I, it should be snobby, highfalutin, I guess. No. But one of my favorite books is Madame Bovary, which is basically a tale that could be written in the 21st century. It is a tale of a, a young woman who sees, you know, she may not have all the money in the world. She sees people who have much more than her and relentlessly pursues that lifestyle, even if it means running up bad debts, 
ruining her family. You know, to me, the best books, Stephen, are the ones that they might have been written in another century, but they speak to us today. And Madame Bovary is one of my absolute favorites. I mean, I think it's tremendous. When I look at books that I am reading today, I just finished a biography of Yoko Ono, which was fantastic. It's called Yoko Ono, An Artful Life. And I read it after watching the Get Back documentary on television and just seeing her quietly sitting next to John Lennon throughout this documentary. I said, I need to learn more about this woman. She is fascinating. I think he learned more from her than she from him, if I'm honest. And I cannot recommend it enough. And guess what? You can check it out at your public library. That's where I got it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's just so much. That's what I love about it. You can go down a rabbit hole, Stephen. I can read about Yoko Ono. Then I can check out more books about Yoko Ono and the Beatles. Check out music about Yoko Ono. You can go down a rabbit hole here. And that is what I love. That's wonderful. What's what's the easiest way for people to find out where their local library is to keep a track of what events y'all have going on or special anything from book sales to performances i know you have a whole smattering of options so we do so if you're interested in your new orleans public library the website is nolalibrary.org if you're interested in learning about friends of new orleans public library and our weekly book sales which we have uptown at the Carriage House behind the Ladder Library on St. Charles Avenue, but also on Saturdays in Algiers. Friends Nola, F-R-I-E-N-D-S-N-O-L-A dot O-R-G. And that's really how we are funding a lot of our programs. It's book sales. I think when people think about Friends, they think it's a few little volunteers taking a few little boxes of books and selling them. We process over 100,000 books that are donated to us every year. We are selling them on eBay. We're selling them on Amazon. We're selling them at two um, brick and mortar sites. And that is what's raising the money for us to put on library programs, to fund scholarships for the staff. You know, I just had a librarian who said, we need more seeds for the seed library. Got it. And that's because of the generosity of the public. And it just... When I see people come into the bookstores so excited to get high quality books for very little, it just, it just warms my heart. After years of working in adult literacy, it's easy to be cynical about the value of education. And you just think, I cannot lie. I had moments where I thought fundamentally the state does not value education. It doesn't matter what I do. Nothing will ever change. But when I see people coming into the library book sales, getting handfuls, you know, armfuls of books for their kids and themselves. It reminds me, people in New Orleans love to read. They love exploring different cultures, different artists. And it just, it makes me feel good. Any final thoughts before we sign off? It's really up to you to make library going a habit. You know, if you want your kids to be readers, put them where books are. Take them to the library. And also what's important is being in a library gives kids the ability to pick for themselves. They have the independence. So often in school, Stephen, we are telling kids, you need to read this, read that. At a library, it's your choice. And for to be able to take my five-year-old niece into the library and say, you can pick five books today, and to see her spread out 15 and have to make a good choice because she only gets five, it's allowing her some independence. And she can pick what she wants to pursue at that young age. And I think that's really important. 
Thank you for listening to Leadership Dialogues. We'd like to thank our annual sponsors whose support help make Norley programs available in the greater New Orleans region. Our pinnacle sponsor is Entergy. Our legacy of leadership sponsor is Atmos. Our support sponsors are Jones Walker and Gamble Communications. Our stakeholder sponsors are First Horizon, Metairie Bank, the Miro Foundation, the Port of New Orleans, and Home Bank. And our recognized partner is Greater New Orleans, Inc.